0: or in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is as far as we're going to get tonight. But in order to kind of break this down, I remind you where we left off last, last week. As we ended our study last week, I mentioned that Jesus was hinting at the judgment that was coming on Israel in Jerusalem because of their murder and rejection of their Messiah. Go back to Matthew 23. Look at verses 36 through 39. <clears throat> Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, when we looked last week, we saw the fact that Jesus had already had the triumphal entry. He had already had them saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so when he says, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's referring to his second coming. The triumphal entry had already happened. But don't miss the fact that he said, your house is left to you desolate. Now, here in in verses 1 and 2, Jesus gets a bit more specific as to what's going to happen to the temple. He said, the disciples came to him and they pointed out the temple. Remember, he's just said, your house is left to you desolate, talking about the temple area and the temple complex. And they came and pointed out to him all the buildings of the temple complex. And he says, you see this? He said, there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. Now, the temple and the temple mount complex were so large, folks, and so impressive that the disciples had a hard time imagining it ever being desolate. Remember in verse 38, he's just said, your house is left to you desolate. That's why they come to him and they say, look at all these buildings. They don't understand this desolate thing. You see, some of the stones of the temple were so big. Some of them were 40 feet long by 12 feet high by 12 feet wide. Let that sink in for a minute. Some of the stones of the temple were 40 feet long, 12 feet high, and 12 feet wide. And almost everything was covered in gold. Now the Roman general Titus surrounded the temple walls in AD 70 with wooden scaffolds and other flammable items and he set them all ablaze. Now the fire was so intense and the stones cr- that the stones crumbled after the fire Sorry, the stones crumbled. And after the fire, people actually came and started taking the rubble apart to get to all the melted gold. So remember, the walls were all covered with gold. Titus burnt the temple complex to the ground. And because all the gold melted, everybody wanted to get the gold that was there. And they literally tore one stone off another, tore it all apart. And actually, some of the stones were thrown down off the temple mount, down into the Kidron Valley. Some of them are there to this day. Go to Matthew 22. You're in Matthew 24. Back up to Matthew 22. Look at verses 1 through 7. This all happened, by the way, in A.D. 70. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and did what to their city? Burned it. So in the parable that Jesus already told about what's going to be coming... He said, because of their rejection of the king's offer to enter the, the kingdom, he sent armies to burn the city. Go to Luke 19, and Luke 19 verses 41 through 44. In Luke 19 verse 41, Jesus at the end of his triumphal entry, he comes to the city, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, "Would you that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace." but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus has just said at the end of our last study in chapter 23 that All this stuff that he said is going to happen because of their rejection of the Messiah was going to happen to this generation, the people that were alive that heard him speak. And then he goes on and he says, well, the disciple, he said, your house is left to you desolate. The disciples come to him and they say, look at all the temple stuff. Look at all this. He goes, there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. This exploded the disciples' minds, if if you will, because the complex was so big, they couldn't even fathom it. So they come to Jesus privately and they say, when will this be? So I have in my notes here, with all these hard to comprehend words swirling in their minds, they came to Jesus later on, on the Mount of Olives, and asked him when the destruction of the temple would be. And when, That's why they said, when will these things be? And they asked another question, because if there's going to be a destruction of the temple, they said, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Their first, first question was, when will these things be? This not one stone left on top of another. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? Now, as you're going to see tonight, Jesus begins to answer the second question first about the sign of his coming in the end of the age. And we're going to spend a couple of weeks dealing with that question being answered. But you've got to keep in mind that the disciples did not understand about Jesus' death, resurrection, time in heaven, the church age, Before Jesus returned to set up his kingdom, in their mind, the kingdom was still going to come right now. And so we are looking at it from the church age. We're looking at it from now, from this time period, 2000 years later. We knew that now we know from scripture that Jesus had to go into Jerusalem, be crucified. Three days later, rise from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He went back to the father. He's been in heaven until the time for his return There's all this going on. But the disciples at that point still didn't understand about the fact that he was going to die and rise from the dead and all that. That didn't make sense to them yet. And they still thought the kingdom was going to happen right now. So here's what's given them a bellyache. All the prophecies about the kingdom that they thought were going to happen right now included a temple how he was going to rule and reign from Jerusalem and the temple was going to be there. You've just said that the temple's going to be desolate. The Temple Mount complex is going to be destroyed, not one stone on top of another. This doesn't compute. Go to Luke chapter 19. Look at verses 11 and 12. This kind of helps you understand the mindset of the disciples. In Luke chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, now, as they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So Jesus tells the parable of the ten minas and he tells about how the guy goes away for a while and then he's going to come back and hold them accountable for what they've been given. In the meantime, why did he tell that parable? Because they thought the kingdom was going to begin right there and then. Go to Acts chapter 1. This is after Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. And now he's appearing to his disciples for 40 days. And the Bible says he's teaching them about the kingdom. Go to Acts chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 7. Luke is the one who wrote the book of Luke. And he's the one writing the book of Acts. And he's writing to this guy. And when he refers to this previous book, he's talking about the gospel of Luke. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he went on and talked about how you're going to receive power and you'll be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses all over the globe. Don't miss this. The disciples thought that the kingdom was going to happen right away. Jesus is trying to explain to them with the parable of the talents, parable of the ten minas. I'm going to go away for a while and then I'm going to come back. And what you do in the meantime is important. They still didn't get it. He was crucified. He rose from the dead and he appeared to them and they were like starting to put it together. Oh, he had to rise from the dead. And then he teaches them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Let me stop for a second. Many of us have been raised in denominations that teach that the kingdom of God is now, it's being fulfilled in the church, and all this stuff, and it's a spiritual kingdom only, and there's not a second coming, there's not a millennial kingdom on the earth. If Jesus taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God, and their question was, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now, he must have been talking about the fact that the kingdom was going to be in Israel. Not a spiritual kingdom. You understand? They would have never asked that question if his teaching was what people try to teach the kingdom is now. On top of that, though, he didn't give a timeline. They knew the kingdom was going to be in Israel. And their question was, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now then? Because at this point, the temple hadn't been destroyed. And he says, not for you to know the times or the dates the father set by his own authority. By the way, take a deep breath, folks. That means none of us are going to figure it out either. We're to be watching and ready We know that the Scripture teaches in many different ways that He's going to come and gather His church, take us to be with Him. There's a seven-year period coming on the earth called the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's trouble, which we will be looking at tonight, which the Jews are going to be going through a time of purification and salvation and all this that's going to go on as He judges them and the world. And then we're going to come back with Him when He sets up His kingdom on the earth. All this is still to be. We understand now. At this time, though, they don't understand it. And like I said, it's because... This is why the concept of the temple and the Temple Mount being destroyed and desolate seemed to make no sense. The prophecies about the Messiah and the coming kingdom included a temple. Go to Psalm 118. I'm just going to show you one. I could show you a bunch, but we're just going to look at one. Go to Psalm 118. Look at verses 25 through 29. Psalm 118, verse 25 Save us, we pray, O Lord. By the way, that's Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from where? From the house of the Lord. What's that? That's the temple in the eyes of the Jews. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and He's made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords upon, up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I'll give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for His good. His steadfast love endures forever. A prophecy about the coming kingdom when they're going to say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. He comes up and sets His kingdom up. And it says they're going to worship Him from the temple. But Jesus has just said the temple's going to be destroyed and there's not going to be one stone left on top of another. So they come to him privately and they say, okay, we're having a little trouble putting all this prophecy stuff together. By the way, anybody else feel a little better? The disciples struggled with it. You and I struggle with it a little bit as well. He says, they said, when are these things going to be, talking about the temple being destroyed, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus doesn't answer the when will these things be about the temple destruction first. He answers the second question first but in great detail. And we're going to begin to look at that detail. Go to verse chapter 24 of Matthew, verses 4 through 8. He said, he answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning, don't miss this, of the birth pains. Now, Jesus could have simply been describing how things will get progressively worse until his return, just like labor pains on a woman, but look closely. Jesus says these are the signs of the beginning of the birth pains. It's almost like he's pointing to a previously prophesied time period described as birth pains or labor pains. I don't want you to miss that. For years, I myself would look at the earthquakes that are happening on the globe right now and how we could do the math and say, oh, earthquakes are increasing on the globe and there's been all this increased war and, and this is the sign that he's. And I used to teach that until I kept studying it and I realized Jesus didn't say birth pains, he said what? The birth pains. Almost like he's pointing to something that has been spoken about before, birth pains that have been previously prophesied. And guess what? They have been. He's referring to a set time period. Are earthquakes increasing and all that stuff? Yes. But folks, if we're going to say all that's going on right now is just the beginning of the birth pains, good grief, the world's been in birth pains for a long, long time, right? Right? There's a set time period, like I hinted at, and I've talked about it, called the tribulation period. By the way, I want everybody, you all online and listening to me, everybody in this room, I want you to double-check everything Jim says against the Scripture, and you let the Spirit give you insight. But what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to hope to be used of the Lord to show you what I think He's shown me. And I'm not the only one. There's a lot of other prophecy people that see this. I think when Jesus lays out Matthew 24, He's going to be specifically laying out the tribulation period. He's going to show how it begins. He's going to show the midpoint of it with the Antichrist. He's going to show about the end period of them being chased into the wilderness that we've all studied in our study of Revelation. When you reread Matthew 24 and you take the church out of it, he's not writing to the church. I'll lay that out more next week when we get to that section. He's actually talking about the birth pains, the time period that the prophecies all pointed to when Israel and the Jews were going to be going through a time of purification. Go with me to Jeremiah Chapter 30. Look at verses 1 through 7. And again, write these verses down so you can go back and double check me and look at them for yourself and let the Spirit speak to you. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 7. I had a man tell me today that I hadn't seen in a long, long time. He said, Man, God really used you to change my theology. I sure hope you're right. He said, because if you're not, I'm in trouble. And I had said to him, no, if I'm not right, not only am I in trouble, you're in trouble. But, I, but you're supposed to check everything that I say against the Scripture, so you can't blame me. God will deal with me if I'm wrong, but don't sit back and say, well, I put my faith in what Jim said. Look at Jeremiah 30, verses 1 through 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I've spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. By the way, let me stop real quick. I'm not going to beat this one too much. But for so long, the church has taught that the church has replaced Israel. All the promises for Israel are now being fulfilled in the church. You ever heard that? Right? Well, why don't they claim that land? Why doesn't the church say that land of Israel is ours? You can't take pieces and parts. You've got to take the whole thing. And he said, I'm going to restore the fortunes of Israel and who? Judah. I love how he brings that out. Because I could show you passages how not all claim Israel or Israel, but those who are of faith are a part of Israel. Yes, that's true. But he doesn't say just Israel. He says Israel and Judah. And I'm going to bring the Jews back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Now, these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel, and I love it, and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for who? Jacob, which is Israel. Yet he shall be saved out of it. So here we see that God prophesies there's a time coming on the nation of Israel that there's not going to be any other day. By the way, we didn't get that far in Matthew 24. We'll get there hopefully next week. Jesus actually describes this time period in Matthew 24 and said, There's not going to be, there's going to be a time of suffering that has never been on the whole face of the earth and never will be again. And if God doesn't cut those days short, no human being will live during that time period. And here the prophecy said, There's a day that there's not going to be another one like it. Time period, and it's a time of distress for Israel, yet he'll be saved out of it. But it's described as a time of a woman in labor. Go to Isaiah chapter 13. Look at verses 6 through 13. Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 13. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I'll make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of His fierce anger. By the way, has this happened yet, folks? Of course not. By the way, does that read like the book of Revelation? Definitely. It's going to read like the book of Matthew 24 when you see when we get further on in 24 as well. Almost word for word. And how does he describe that time period again? As a time of a woman in labor. We're not done. Go to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, look at verses 27 through 31. Jeremiah 4, verse 27, For thus says the Lord, The whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. For this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. At the noise of horsemen and archer, every city takes flight. They enter thickets, and they climb among rocks. All the cities are forsaken, and no man dwells in them. And you, O desolate one, what do you mean that you dress in scarlet, and that you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, that you enlarge your eyes with paint? In vain you beautify yourself. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life. For I heard a cry as of a woman in labor. Anguish as of one giving birth to her first child. The cry of the daughter of Zion gasping for breath, stretching out her hands. Woe is me, I am fainting before murderers. Again, another prophecy about this coming time of judgment that's going to happen on the whole world and be centered in Israel in in, in the land of Judah. And again, that time period is described as a time as a woman in labor. Go to Micah chapter 5. Here's a passage we all know pretty well because it's preached on a lot at Christmas but we always stop at verse 2. Micah chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 2, though we're going to keep reading. Micah chapter 5, look at verses 2 through 5a, I call it, first half of verse 5. Micah chapter, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. But you, O Bethlehem of Frotha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Listen to the next verse. Therefore he, this one that was just prophesied, shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he, this one prophesied, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Do you see it? The prophecy talks about this one that we know was fulfilled in Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And, but then it says he's going to give up Israel until when? The time when she who is in labor... Gives birth. Israel, hang on John, Israel has experienced a hardening in part, the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 11, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And then they're going to go through that birth pains, the time when she's in labor, and then he's going to come back and rule and reign. Go ahead, John. Uh, another you were about the right through the same age, and, earth, and now. Yes. Mm -hmm. One more time. They're going to. We're going to get to all that. His his point was that the nation of Israel is going to be dispersed again and, and we're going to get to all that through Matthew 24 and we get into Revelation and all that. But don't miss this. We read all these prophecies about how in the last days God's going to bring Israel, bring them back into the land and restore all their fortunes. And we've, in the time period we've lived in, seen since 1948, Israel become a nation again and all these miracles. And we're thinking, that's the prophecy being fulfilled. And I hear a lot of prophecy people saying the same thing. And I'm like, keep reading the prophecies. The prophecies say that when that's fully fulfilled, all Israel worship the Lord. They'll believe in Him. They'll look on Him whom they've pierced and they'll weep and they'll mourn and they'll seek forgiveness. Israel's not doing that. They're back in the land and that had to happen because all the prophecies about the second coming of Jesus all are tied to Israel being in the land at the time. So the regathering that we've seen in our lifetime is awesome, but it had to be fulfilled because there's going to have to be a temple. There's going to be an Antichrist. Step into the temple. He's going to chase the Israelites out of Israel again and into the wilderness. All these things are going to happen still. The full gathering and regathering and restoring the fortunes of of Israel and Judah have not happened right now. They've just been brought back so that they could be in the place they need to be when all this stuff that's been prophesied is happening. But I don't want you to miss it. When Jesus said, you're going to hear of wars or Antichrist, and wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff. Don't be alarmed. It's not the end just yet. That's just the beginning of the birth pains. And folks, the birth pains, I believe without question. Again, you believe what God shows you. You'll be held accountable for what you believe But listen, I believe the birth pains is referring to the tribulation period as we've just seen the prophecies pointing to that day as a time of a woman in labor. And the scripture said that he would give them up until that time when she who is in labor gives birth and then he'll come and stand and rule. Now, go to Matthew 24 and again look at verses 4 through 8. And I want to show you how what Jesus describes here in these verses parallels with the beginning of the tribulation period as recorded in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. So we're going to read Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8, and then we're going to go read Revelation 6, 1 through 17. Jesus said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead many astray, and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. The na- for nation will rise against nation and the kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, jump over to Revelation 6. In Revelation chapter 6, we see the beginning of the opening of the seals in the book of Revelation. And you're going to see an amazing parallel between the opening of the seals and what we just read in Matthew 24. I'm going to read to you Revelation 6, verses 1 through 17. John says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been." When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll. Does that sound familiar? We just read that tonight in the prophecies. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, "Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Folks, I want you to track with me here. Let's look at the parallel between what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and Revelation 6. He says there's going to be false Christs that come, right? He said, don't let anybody lead you astray. In Matthew 24, verse 4, he says there's going to be false Christs. He opens the first seal, and who comes out? The Antichrist, the rider on the white horse, which is the Antichrist. Parallels with what he says in Matthew 24, the first seal and the false Christs. Then the second seal... We see that men are be able, uh, given the ability to kill each other. There's wars, and people are going to be slaying each other. By the way, what's the second thing he says? There's going to be false Christs, there's going to be wars. Second seal. Third seal, famines, right? By the way, what did Jesus say right after false Christs? Wars, famines. It lines up with the seals. Now there's a jump in chapter the fourth seal and the fifth seal. Give us some more information of what's going to be going on. But if you parallel the fourth thing that he says in Matthew 24, the earthquakes with the sixth seal, what do you have? Earthquakes happening all over the whole globe. Didn't we read in the Old Testament prophecy tonight that people are going to be running out of the cities and getting out of the cities to protect themselves during this time? We read in Revelation that they're going to be hiding in the rocks and the caves. Because there's going to be earthquakes that happen. Folks, have earthquakes been increasing? Yes. Have wars been happening? All throughout history. But we're not in the birth pains yet. I think personally the church will be gone before the birth pains begin. And so Jesus is telling them about the sign of His coming in the end of the age. There's still another time period left. Remember, He's given up Israel until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, the birth pains that have been prophesied, the church age will come to an end and he'll take us to be with him and then he will finish what he started with Israel. We're going to be dealing with all this as we look at this in more detail. Let's go back now to Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13. Because you're going to see as I read this to you that Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13 parallels with the prophecies about the world hating the Jews at that time. But the Jews that survive and believe will be saved. Listen to Matthew 24, 9 through 13. And then, as this is all going on, they'll deliver you, Jews, up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Stop for a second. Are you and I saved in the church aid by enduring until the end? Or are we saved by grace through faith? Grace through faith. But the Jews, as you're going to see from the prophecies and from what it says in, Revela- sorry, in Romans and Revelation, the Old Testament prophecies we're going to look at, the Jews who stick around and make it until the end, who say no to the Antichrist, don't take the mark of the beast, run into the wilderness and be protected, there's going to be the nation of Israel that survives this time period. All of them will be saved by enduring until the end. You and I aren't saved by enduring until the end. We're saved by the grace of Christ and we're already signed, sealed and delivered. But the Jews, I'll give you a little hint. We're going to go next week. He then talks about when the Antichrist goes after the nation of Israel, how he's going to, in Matthew 24, chase them out of Judah. He's going to tell them, look, don't even go back into your house to get a coat. Get out of there. And then he says, pray that your flight doesn't happen on a Sabbath. He wouldn't say that to the church age. We're not under Sabbath regulations. And he said, pray that your flight doesn't happen in the winter. Again, he wouldn't say that to the church because it's winter somewhere on the globe. But to the Jews... He's talking to the nation of Israel. Folks, look at Matthew 24 again as you look at it. You'll see he's talking about the sign of his coming and the end of the age. And he's talking to the nation of Israel. He's not talking to the church. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. Look at how the prophecies all say that at that time period, everyone will be against Israel. All nations will be against Israel. Look at Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. He's not talking about A.D. 70 because that was just the Romans. But this is a prophecy about the final time period. And at that time period, every nation on the earth is going to be against Israel. By the way, not hard to fathom happening in our day, is it? But we're one of the few nations that are still allies and friends with Israel. Oh, by the way, there's all this peace treaty stuff going on. Isn't that interesting? There's all this peace treaty stuff going on with nations that were surprising are actually making peace treaties with Israel. Oh, by the way, I don't have time to get into it. It's making all the pieces of the puzzle line up to get ready. Remember, Israel had to be back in the land for all this stuff to happen. But on top of that, the Bible says right before this happens, Israel's going to be living in a time where they think they're at peace. And then all this stuff's going to happen. Folks, the pieces of the puzzle being put into place. Be ready for Jesus to come get his bride. But keep reading. All the nations are going to be gathering against Israel to gather against it. On that day, that's prophecy words declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts their God. On that day, I'll make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Oh, and I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me on whom they whom they pierce they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad-Rimen in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself. The family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the and by itself and their wives by themselves. And all the families that are left, each by itself and their wives by themselves. Jump over to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, and look at verses 31 through 34. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, God says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. We're living in the church age right now when there's a need for preachers and teachers and people out there saying, know the Lord. But at this point, at the end of the tribulation, all Israel that survives the tribulation period, who endures to the end, will be saved. Won't even need anybody preaching to the Jews at that point because they'll all know him and they'll all believe in him. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 24 says, you guys, when you start to see these beginning of the birth pains, and there won't be any question as to whether or not this is the birth pains you'll know. Then you're going to see all of a sudden the nations of Israel, I'm sorry, the nations of the world gather against you. And they're going to go after you. And you're going to have people within the nation of Israel betraying and hating each other. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, look at verse 25 through 27. Throughout this whole chapter, he's dealing with the question of, is God done with Israel? And the answer is three times, no. And look at verse 25. Lest you be wise, Romans 11:25: Lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written... Deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, don't miss this. That doesn't mean that anybody that's ever been a Jew is all going to be saved. No, the all Israel that will be saved is from all the prophecies being put together those who survive to the end of the tribulation period. There's many Jews who are going to be in hell and are in hell right now because of the rejection of the Messiah. Remember, he already said he's going to cast them in outer darkness. He's going to burn them in unquenchable fire. The Bible's real clear. There's a judgment that's already come on many, many Jews. But during this seven-year time period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the birth pains that have been prophesied, the Jews that wake up, by God's grace, to the truth of what's going on and who Jesus is, are not going to say yes to the Antichrist. They're not going to take the mark. They're going to run for their lives. The ones who stay in Jerusalem, there are going to be some that God supernaturally, as we've already read, gives them the ability to fight. It's going to be an amazing time. And those who endure to the end will be saved. He's not talking to us. He's talking to the Jews. Again, if you would read the New Testament with an understanding of the Old Testament, the New Testament passages make sense. The problem is most in the church today have never been taught the Old Testament. Oh, we've been taught the story of David and Goliath and Noah and the Ark and things like that. But how many of us have ever been taught the Old Testament passages? Besides those of you that sat through two years of Ezekiel with me. But I mean, as we looked at Jeremiah and Zechariah and all those, but be honest, very few people really know the Old Testament. And maybe many in this room or those watching now don't really fully understand the Old Testament. And folks, I cannot stress it enough. If you'll read the New Testament, and the book of Revelation, with an old understanding of the Old Testament, it makes a ton of sense. Because everything you read will go, oh, that's what he was talking about there. That's, and it comes together. If you try to read the New Testament by itself, you're going to try to read yourself into it all the time. And you're going to miss a lot of stuff. Preachers have tried to read the church into Matthew 24 when it's describing the time period, we will already be with the, in heaven with the Lord, awaiting the time when we'll return with Him. And because of this, the preachers have said that as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, the end can come. Anybody ever heard that? Go with me to Matthew 24 and look at verse 14. This is where they get it. And I want to take some time tonight to show you how that's wrong on many levels. Matthew 24, verse 14 and the, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Don't miss that. He's laid out, I'm going to show you tonight and next week, he's laid out the beginning of the first half of the tribulation period, hints it at the end, when all who endure to the end will be saved. But you, when we come back next week, you're going to see the midpoint, where the Antichrist steps into the wing of temple and declares himself to be God. We're going to get into that next week. That happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period, according to the prophecies. But just prior, right around the time of the midpoint, in our story here, Jesus makes this statement, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And we in the church, because we've read ourselves into Matthew 24, have heard preachers say, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. Folks, That's not only wrong, it's wrong against scripture, it's wrong against the heart and the nature of God, because what preachers are saying is, is that there are generations and generations and generations of people who have never had an opportunity to be saved. Isn't that what they're saying? Because the gospel hasn't made it to the whole world yet. As Soon as it makes it to the whole world, then the end will come. Let's hurry up and get the gospel to the whole world. The Bible actually says the gospel's been preached to the whole world already, and more than once. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If he's waiting for us to get the gospel to the whole world, and then we can go to heaven, what about all those people that lived in years and years before us? No, that's not what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 23. Paul's talking about the the role that he's been given. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became minister. Folks, don't hear, what I'm not, don't hear me say something I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't have missionaries going out all over the globe, because we still need to get the gospel out. But even though the gospel may have been preached in Atlantic Florida... That doesn't mean that there aren't people moving into here. babies being born. The gospel still needs to be preached over and over. We need to have missionaries go out as God sends them and calls them. But don't think for a second that there's parts of the globe that have never heard the gospel. Paul said the gospel has already been preached in all creation. Go to Romans chapter 10. By the way, ironically, a very familiar passage where people take what it says here in Romans 10 and they say, well, how can they hear unless we get the gospel out? Look at what Romans 10 actually says in the context. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how can they hear? He's just said in verse 13, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how can they hear? How can they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What Paul's saying is the opposite of what we've been taught in this passage. Paul's not saying if we don't get up, get the message out, they won't hear, which is how we've heard it preached. Paul's saying... God says everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, guys, let's take that backwards then. If he's expecting everyone to call on him, how can they call on him unless they've been preached to and, 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 or heard? And how can they hear unless they've been preached to? And, and how can they be preached to unless God sent somebody? And all along the prophecy said they have heard. There's words gone to all the world. We don't have time to lay out for you Romans 1 where he's made it really clear that he exists through creation and everyone's with that excuse. Romans 2 that he's written his law on everybody's heart whether they heard the law of God or not. The Bible actually says that everybody hears. Does everybody hear in the same amount? No. Does everybody have the same level of understanding and light? No. The Bible says that we're all going to be judged in accordance with how much light we've received. But the Bible says that everybody hears. So stop thinking as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. The gospel is being preached, been preached to all creation and still being done. Actually, what is Jesus? What time period is Jesus talking about in Matthew 24? By the way, if you don't get this right, we've got to start all over. He's talking about what time period? The tribulation. Go with me to Revelation chapter 14 and look at what Revelation 14 says is going to happen right about the midpoint of the tribulation. Look at Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Again, if you read the New Testament with an understanding of the Old Testament and the prophecies, even in Revelation, it would all make sense. Revelation 14, look at verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. To every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. By the way, the next angel comes and brings a judgment on Babylon. And the third one comes in verse nine and says, don't take the mark of the beast. At the midpoint of the tribulation, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to the whole world at once by an angel that God sends And he's actually, folks, God's given everybody every opportunity. And he's actually going to have an angel preach it in midair so that everybody in the whole globe hears it at the same time. And then the second half of the tribulation, what we call the end, is going to happen. And things are going to get real bad on the earth during that time. They've been already bad, but they're going to get real bad. For the sake of time, I think I'm going to stop here tonight. I'm going to let you out early. If anybody has a question, we'll probably do that. I have in my notes to go further, but I think because of how much we need to get into, I, I can't. We're gonna next week. We'll get into Matthew 24 verses 15 through 31 and deal with that section when we come back. But for tonight, I hope I've slowed down enough so that you could track with me. Uh, You say, slow down. Trust me, you have no idea. I have wanted to show you so many other passages because when I look at Matthew 24 and I see what Jesus is saying here, all these other passages, folks, the Bible's full of what God has in store. And it all comes together when we let the scripture speak. When we come back next week, we're going to deal with the fact that uh, the church really isn't mentioned in 24. We're going to wrestle with all that. Are there things we can learn from this? Of course. Are there things that God can show us? Definitely. But one of the things I hope you'll start to grasp is that we need to rightly divide the word of God, as it says in the King James. Let's close with this. I'm going to just do this as we close. I think there's a good way to do it in the seven minutes we have left. He said, Jim, you get us all excited about letting us out early. I know. I'm sorry. Go to Isaiah 61. Go to Isaiah 61. Look at verses 1 and 2, and then put a finger there. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Put a bookmark or a finger in Isaiah 61, go to Luke 4. Luke 4, we'll start in verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read... And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hang on for a second. If you go back and look at Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, especially verse 2, Jesus stopped in the middle of a verse, didn't he? He said, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The prophecy, as you keep reading it, says, and the day of vengeance of our God. How come he stopped in the middle of the verse, rolled up the scroll, and said, This has been fulfilled in your hearing? How come? Oh, very good, Sheila. Listen, because that was the purpose of his first coming. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of age of grace, the church age. When he comes back, he's going to bring the vengeance. Don't miss this, folks. Would you not agree that's a correct interpretation that Sheila has it right? You know, that way you can't blame me. (laughs) But I agree with Sheila. What you just agreed with is that the first half of one verse in Isaiah 61 verse 2 is talking about one time period the second half of the exact same verse is talking about another whole time period 2000 years away do you see the importance of how to study prophecy part of the reason why is cuz people try to study prophecy by reading it chronologically and trying to make and you won't it'll it'll mess you up But if through the Spirit of God, you lit the scriptures all into your heart, God begins to show you his time periods and the ways that he's going to work over time. And when you study the prophecies, you'll see, oh, this is talking about that time period. This part of the verse is talking about that time period. And it all will begin to make sense. That's why you need preachers and teachers. But at the same time, you have the spirit within you. You better check what's being taught against the scriptures because we're living in the day in which the Bible said there'll be doctrines taught by demons. And as we've already hinted at, we've been taught a lot of stuff over the years that we all said, heard it, heard it, but it didn't match up with scripture. Hopefully, you'll start looking at Matthew 24 in a whole new way. Oh, by the way, when we get to chapter 25 with the sheep and the goats, you're going to find that's not even what we thought it was either. And I can't wait to show that to you. But that's weeks away. I love you. Thanks for coming.